When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for the Boston Celtics. I'm your host, Justin Poulin. Pretty excited despite the outcome of the Super Bowl. I know not everybody who listens to the show are diehard New England across the board sports fans, but I had a great Sunday anyway, and I can't wait to talk about it with my man, John Duke, who's joining me. In the co, I guess, co-pilot seat. So, John, pretty good game. Lots to talk about. we got the trade deadline coming up on Thursday. We've got Paul Pierce Day on Sunday. Uh, we have an awesome Super Bowl Sunday victory for the Celtics, anyway. And then also a very special day for me, being it was my son's first ever in-person game at the Garden. So, definitely excited to talk about that. And then... You know, maybe if there's time, we'll tag on the fact that Cleveland is absolutely falling apart from the inside. The only thing that makes Cleveland falling apart, uh, you know, or I should say the only thing that makes, you know, the the dispiriting loss to the the Raptors uh, at all palatable is seeing Cleveland melt down in even more spectacular fashion. I mean, it's it's just one of those things where, look, you know, it's kind of a schadenfreude situation. You know, as bad as it is here, at least I can enjoy the complete dismemberment of the Cleveland Cavaliers franchise seemingly tweet by tweet as I go through the day. It's just, it's like the little bit of gasoline that helps me power my way from from 9 o'clock to 5 p.m., you know. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, I love watching them come apart, especially after what they kind of did to Isaiah Thomas. I think the biggest thing is Dan... Gilbert has seemingly taken over control of the team. And a lot of the articles out there say that they completely lost touch with uh, LeBron over the summer. Basically, when they decided to trade Kyrie Irving, that was the writing on the wall. But I'm also going to say this. It was pretty much on the wall anyway. Didn't LeBron intimate he was leaving regardless of the Kyrie thing? And isn't that the reason why they traded Kyrie? They knew they were going to have to start over. Might as well get while the getting's good. No, I'm glad you said that because that's the that's the thing all through this. I mean, people not understanding why Kyrie Irving would want to leave LeBron. I mean, it's it's kind of foolish. I mean, I think Celtics fans got it. I think we all understood where this was going, or many of us did at least. But you know, this was this was somewhat inevitable. A 34 year old star player who has had everything you know basically at his beck and call for the, his entire NBA career. And he's home and he's won an NBA championship and he's expecting everyone to, you know, basically kiss the ring. And Kyrie Irving is a, is a young, up and coming, you know, star, all NBA talent who was kind of tired of that whole retreatment and knew that this, this end was coming. He would, <laughs> who can he'd sell be able to shoes keep it of his own. He, he, who can sell shoes of his own. He's, he, he, he doesn't need it. 
You're absolutely right. He needs a little bit of that spotlight, um, just as a businessman even. But but even if him and LeBron were fine and they could share it and share the ball and there was no clamoring down on his ability, LeBron already intimated that he was leaving. I mean, all that L.A. talk and everything else, now we hear rumors about maybe he'll go join the evil forces of Golden State. Whatever his decision is, it was pretty clear he was moving on regardless. Anyway, so why not? Why not read the writing on the wall? It happened to him once before. What's that old saying? Fool me once, can't fool me again. <laughs> At least I think that was. I think that was pres- <laughs> like that. Yeah. No, no that's George right, Bush's that's version. Thing. That was President George Bush's version. No, that's not how it really goes. But if you remember the <laughs> I, quote. But anyway, but that's no, what it is. You know what I mean? Like, hey, let, let's just cut it now. And guess what? There's a super team out west, and we're not going to be able to get younger. So it's only going to become more complicated, and it, it will be impossible if LeBron leaves. So this is a good draft. Let's get a pick, and let's move on, or let's prepare to move on. But he wanted it both. I mean, he wanted both ways. He, he wanted to be able to compete now, and he didn't want to tie himself down. He, he, you know, part of the reason they don't have they didn't get Paul George was because he wouldn't commit to that that extra year or to stay in Cleveland. So as a result, Cleveland backed off and the rest is history. I mean, I think that that's, that's the issue here. And so, and you know, he can bitch and moan all he wants about the fact that this, this isn't going the way he wants it to, or they're not as successful. Um, but it starts with his inability to commit and Dan, Dan Gilbert, Dan Snyder, Dan Gilbert, uh, being a complete, joke of an owner and those two just creating a, a nice a nice motley stew and uh, not motley crew motley, motley stew. stew i like that there you that go you can't you know you can't build a winning team from so you know they got one they should be glad for that it doesn't appear that lebron is going to waive his no trade clause as crazy as that is to say um and so they're going to go through the rest of this year and i'm sure they'll they'll be more of a threat in the playoffs than they are in the regular season but they're, to me, they're no threat to make the NBA final. LeBron is ridiculous. So we'll end on this because I don't want to spend too much time on it. Too many other good nuggets of information to discuss and impending deadlines. But I will dive into it from this angle, which is LeBron is a fool not to waive his no trade clause. Like, come on, man. Really? You left and gave the, gave the uh, franchise nothing the last time, and now you're going to do it again? Like, if you're at an impasse, and this is where it's been, and it's been kind of coming to a head maybe ever since uh, they let Griffin go, then why not? Why not wave it, go to another team, don't finish out the season, and do this franchise a favor for once? That's what I'll say about that. Seems a, seems a bit harsh, being that <laughs> he did give them their only NBA championship and the only one in Cleveland and for the last like 60 years. But I, I get your sentiment though. You're absolutely right. I mean, do them a favor and say, look, I'm moving on enough. Uh, but he, he can't, he can't get his ego out of the way. And, and the other problem is, is he's, he's kind of recruited some of the egos who have come in, Dwayne Wade and, you know, kind of talking Isaiah into whatever is there and, you know, both goading and, and helping and, Primping and everything, Kevin Love, and I mean, it's just created this unhealthy situation. Unfortunately, it's just going to be ugly no matter how you rip the Band-Aid off. Whether you trade away LeBron now or or you do this piecemeal situation to to blow up that team as will take over the next twelve months, it's going to be ugly. And unfortunately, 
that is going to happen when you have egomaniacal people at the very top who just simply uh, can't see eye to eye do their own distrust of each other between Cavs Dan and LeBron James. It and makes me wonder if he can wonderful. exist anywhere, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, it, the, the idea of him even going to Golden State represents some difficulty for that reason. And so it'll be interesting. I think next season will be interesting because he's clearly going to move on once again. And where he lands, is he going to be really competing for a championship? And I don't know. Maybe we'll have a decision number two. Maybe he'll make a mockery of it. Who knows? Follow Celtic Stuff Live on Twitter at CSL underscore Tweet Live. You can follow me at CSL underscore Justin. John's handle is at CSL underscore Duke. And the entire CLNS Media Network at CLNS Media. Don't forget our Facebook page, facebook.com slash CLNS fans, and download the CLNS Media app for iOS and Android. Simply search CLNS Media in your app marketplace. And finally, the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash CLNS Media for high-definition, full-length locker room interviews, the Garden Report, and the Roundtable. Good stuff going on always on the YouTube channel. And as an excellent segue, there's another bit of content on the YouTube channel besides Celtic Stuff Live. But if you go to the Portland Trailblazers game from Sunday, you'll see a halftime interview with me and my son and a little bit of a preview, uh, which we got completely wrong uh, for the Super Bowl that night. But it was really an awesome, awesome day, John. So I'm just going to lay it out for you. You can fire some questions at me. But it was a dream because... You know, I get a hotel in Portsmouth, so we drive from Bangor to Portsmouth, stay overnight, get up really early the next morning. I took your advice, get in line, get in line early, you know, to make sure you can get down to the floor, which actually for Super Bowl Sunday in a noon game was pretty easy. Probably didn't need to be in the front of the line, but we were legit in the front of the line. My mom and dad came too, so it was a really cool little family experience. My mom loved the game. She was screaming at the top of her lungs. And it was a heck of a game to watch. It really was. So anyway, back to the beginning. We waited in line. We probably got there two hours before game time, and we had to wait about 45 minutes before they opened the door. They opened them about 20 minutes early, let us into the pro shop, um, we go and get a, get, I get a t-shirt, buy my son a sweatshirt. Then they finally let us out. We go down to the floor. So we're on one side of the floor and I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is the side Mike will be on. But then I look to the other side. And I'm like, no, 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 we got to go over there. So we go over to the other side Then we get over there and then Mike goes to the other side. So I got to cruise back around again. But on the way back through this time, I was able to catch up with Grandy and Max and introduce them to Riley. Um, caught up with Brian, uh, which I think was the Boston Sports Journal now. Um, mm-hmm. so caught up with Brian and introduced myself to him for the very first time. I'd, I'd, uh, I'd probably seen him a little bit during the transition before I moved down here to Pennsylvania. But then we cruise back around and I can just tell you that the usher's getting irritated that me and my family are kind of sitting there, right? But it, Mike's like, talking to people who are out on the floor and I'm waiting for a moment where I can get his attention. And, uh, you know, I really wanted to introduce Riley to him and the usher, I'm telling you, the usher was so irritated. So I was kind of like telling him, I was like, look, I texted Mike, he knows I'm coming, you know, but the usher's just not having it straight faced, no way. So finally Mike kind of turns enough and there's nobody talking to him and I yell out his name and, 
John, I'm serious. He recognized me right away. He comes over. He tells the usher to let me and my son down. And then uh, it was it was just great. The way he – he, he, you know Mike. And you know what how we're just big fans of, of Mike on this show. But he was so warm and he was like, like – he's telling my son, he's like, you know, your dad's a really great guy and this and that. And then my parents come down, you know, and, you know, he's just so gracious, you know. He's like – I mean, I, I can only wonder what a barbecue at Mike's house is like, you know. He's just making sure that everybody has a great time and feels good about, you know, the experience. But And then at the end, you know, I was like, Mike, I really appreciate you, you know, taking some time and kind of making it making it pretty awesome for, for Riley. And he gave me a total hug, dude. And then we just, you know, <laughs> it was just awesome. And And Riley was, like, not afraid when we were, like, moving through – the crowd to get from one side of the court to the other to set it up. He was leading the charge at his first game, like not intimidated, just soaking it up. So anyway, then we go get our seats and we get food and everything. And the the game is, it's getting way, you know, they're getting way behind. And he was with me for Thanksgiving and he says, you know, they were, they had a comeback victory that you attended when you got your picture with your boys and your wife and Tommy Heinsohn, right? That's so, right. Your your uh your come from behind victory was a uh, a bigger deficit than mine was, but still we were sitting at home <laughs> watching good. it. There's they're all fun. No, they're all fun. <laughs> but so I remember telling we're watching the game, you know, me and Riley, and I would tell him, you know, I, I feel bad. John spent all this money just to watch a blowout, and Riley looked at me. He goes, "They're gonna come back, Dad." I'm telling you, they're going to come back. And by the time there was two minutes left in that game, he's like, I told you they would come back. Oh, you know, and he's like bragging all up in my face about the comeback. And uh, so here we are down by 16, you know, wrapping up the first half. And he's like, you know, they're going to come back, Dad. I'm like, ah, oh, dude. I'm like, we'll save it for tonight. That's that's the Patriots way. The Celtics don't always do that, except they have this season. And, uh, you know, we go out and – Film the, uh, film the halftime interview with CLNS Media. So Riley's like featured in that. It was great. And if you do go to the YouTube channel, you can go to the, uh, Portland Trailblazers content. You get to see my son's first appearance. And uh, it's funny because Nick puts his like name, you know, uh, uh below his face there as, as they're there. His future CLNS Media star. So I told Riley, I said, Riley, you gotta, you gotta go to college in Boston so that you can ride these credentials at 18, you know, hashtag legacy. That'd be a lot of fun. So, <laughs> and then obviously the big comeback win and Al Horford hits it on an inbounds pass with four seconds to go and the whole place erupted. And I will tell you, there was one guy we were in section 324. So we're up there, but there's this one guy, it's kind of a skinny ball guy with glasses and, uh, and Riley is, you know, he's 14, so his voice is cracking, you know, but he's screaming at the top of his lungs. So there's like some moments and he's louder than his dad. And I'm pretty loud. And, uh, this guy with this skinny dude, the ball, the hair, the glasses, he keeps turning around at me and laughing every time that Riley goes like way over the top. And I'm just, I just smile back and I'm like, yep. You know, but I mean, the kid just, Owned it. He just took it in. So it was a really special moment. I appreciate everybody letting me hijack the podcast for 10 minutes to kind of commemorate that <laughs> in audio for the future. <laughs> Justin Poulin and Riley Poulin to listen to. Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, that's a great time. He's never going to forget his first time going to a game, hanging out with Mike Gordon, come back win. 
Listen, I mean, that's... Guess that's, his that's first crazy. TV appearance, essentially, right? You know? <laughs> right, right, right. So CLNS Media going to take over for dad, the family business, and, you know, just do it. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's awesome. I'm glad to see the next, the next Poulin is ready to take over the throne, you know, and, uh, your kids and, and my, your, your son and my sons will, you know, they'll, they'll be doing the show. That would be pretty cool if we handed this, if we handed this show off at like, you know, well, we've been doing it for 30 years, John. I think it's time to hang it up, you know, and then we pass it off to the kids. (laughs) That would be insane. But that'd be awesome. Listen, we've already done this longer than just about anybody, so, you know, why not? Let's keep it going, man. Well, that was the thing, you know. I remember we started the show uh, pretty much right after Riley was born, so it was like 14 years ago. So when you, so everyone is watching the video, and you're like, oh, my gosh, that kid is younger than this show. Uh, you know, that, there you go. Isn't that pretty <laughs> it's wild? That's really wild. Oh my God. So anyway, that's our segue for life, but um, – what do you want to hit next then? We, we've done that. What's basically left for topics is, uh, we have Paul Pierce Day coming up next Sunday. I'm going to be doing the post game show with Bobby Manning. And, and interestingly, the last time I did a post game show with Bobby Manning was the very first game of the season, which was against Cleveland, as we all remember, a devastating loss. I remember I was in parts unknown, Arkansas. Uh, in the hotel room when uh, that uh, massive, disgusting injury happened. So Bobby and I will be reprising our roles, hopefully in a much more positive, yay, we won kind of mode on Sunday, but also, you know, hearkening back to Paul Pierce's last game in Boston with the Clippers last year. I can only imagine what's in store on Sunday. Let's just go there. I just did it. We'll do trade, trade deadline to close out the show. Okay. You've gone there, so we are there. <laughs> Trade deadline's the meat. I got it. It's the meat, but we well, got to talk it, about it. Is, well, I guess it's it's the it's the the uh, it's the thing that will make everyone want to stick around. You know, I mean, people will okay, want to talk I'm with Paul you. Pierce. I'm not saying they want to talk about Paul Pierce, but, but hit, that, the, you know, hit the, the trade the deadline. I agree. Let's hit the trade deadline. Are you sure? Paul, I'm certain. Right. I'm certain. I've right. got enough time that I can do the ad right, read, do it. and then we can <laughs> – and then, and then we can do trade uh-huh. deadline, and we'll finish yeah. it on a feel good with Paul Pierce. Hello, that's how we do things here. Let's do that. That sounds okay. good. All right, you well, hoops fans, TV. yeah. Well, we'll do the ad read, and then we'll be in the clear to go ahead and finish out the show with the two great topics. Hoops fans, basketball season well underway. The trade deadline right around the corner on Thursday, and your favorite hardwood heroes maybe changing teams. Uh, so it's time for you to put your fantasy knowledge to the test and win huge cash prizes every night playing one-day fantasy basketball at DraftKings.com. At DraftKings, there are so many ways to play. You can choose from public contests with huge cash prizes or private contests where you can compete against your friends. They've even got beginner and casual contests where you'll play against people of a similar skill level. And the best part, you get to draft a new team each day, and drafting a team is arguably the best part of fantasy. The only thing 
anything better is winning cash doing it. Just ask Dan from St. Louis or Jeremy from Austin. They both turned a $3 entry into a 1000 bucks. Huge cash prizes and bragging rights await only at DraftKings. Use the code CLNS at DraftKings.com. Free with your first deposit for your share of $10,000 in total cash prizes tonight. Don't wait. Use the code CLNS at DraftKings.com now to choose your lineup, and you can seriously cash in tonight. That's code CLNS, only at DraftKings.com. The game inside the game, minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. John, tee it up, man. Trade deadline. Let's let's talk about it, baby. I mean, the things things are flying, dude. I mean, this is it's it's really all centered in large part. I think it's large. It's centered around what we talked about in depth last week, and and we had our. We should also mention we had our best week ever in what are we saying? Fourteen years of doing this show. Fourteen years of doing this show. We had our best week ever this past week with our last show. So thank you for everyone who listened. Thank you for who you've told to what listen to the show and, Triple, and watch the show on YouTube. Triple to awesome quadruple stuff. downloads, folks. Triple yeah. to quadruple. That is it. a substantial uptick in DLs. So we well, absolutely do love it. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, so I, I think a lot of it was driven by the fact that we were really the first ones talking about Marcus Smart in depth. People know that we are fans of Marcus Smart. We like Marcus Smart. This isn't coming from a, a background of hating on Marcus Smart. This is us coming from a position of love. Okay. And we're seeing some issues there. And we're saying, you know, at what point do you cut bait? Well, what point, you know, is, is this situation not positive for the Celtics moving forward? And a lot of people picked up that bear. They ran with it last week. So it's fine. Now we're in a situation where there's a lot of trade rumors out there. We got Mark Stein throwing some stuff out there. We got, you know, Bullpet, obviously, in the last few days. Woj, uh, you know, Zach Lowe, uh, you know, uh, Matt Moore. You know, everyone is kind of throwing it all out there. Um, that these on Sam Vecini's, uh, um, you know, podcast. We, so basically where we stand is this. The Celtics, if you believe the rumors, want to get a first round pick for Marcus Smart and more, if you believe uh, what, what Steve Bullpet, uh reported this evening and said that, you know, it's nothing's close because no one wants to give that much up. The idea is, is that the first round pick that they would receive in the Marcus Smart deal would then be flipped uh, for the chance to get somebody like Tyreek Evans or Lou Williams, uh, you know, and, and somebody of that ilk. The issue is that to do that, obviously you gotta get that first round pick. You're gonna give up a core piece of this roster, someone who could possibly re-sign for a longer term deal at shorter money than what we were initially talking about. But the issue remains with Marcus Smart. Can you actually get him to sign that deal? I don't believe he'd be on the market right now if the Celtics thought they could sign him to that deal. I think they think he's a valuable member of this team. I think they see the value of what he brings to this core. And obviously we saw it in the Toronto game of just that little bit of fire that was missing. Uh, but the question remains um, could you, do you need to liquidate that asset? Do you turn that into a couple of different things that could help you? If you turn them to Denver and you're able to get a first round pick, Denver has a mid first round pick. They're 15th right now. That would be a pretty nice asset to have 
but they want more. Uh, there's talk of Moutier being in that deal. So there's a lot of stuff that's out there right now, Justin. And I think, you know, the question is, at what point does it make sense for the Celtics to move on? And, you know, going by the patented Steve Bullpet, nothing's happening because Danny Ainge hasn't gotten what he wants yet. Um, story that we get every single deadline this time of year. Um, we're stuck, I think, saying, you know, at what point is the right point to to move on from Marcus Smart? And, you know, the value... You and I soured pretty fast. What do you do? Yeah, you and I soured pretty fast. And I will say one other thing. It's clear that they want to make a move at the deadline, not just that they're entertaining offers, because if they were, if they weren't wanting to make a move, then they would have just completed the Greg Monroe signing. Correct? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we haven't even talked about Greg Monroe. We should, we should probably briefly mention that as well. Well, we, I think that's part of the deadline, right? Because the deal isn't done yet. We haven't seen him in action. We know he's going to sign with the Celtics and obviously he wants to play for a contender. So he's just kind of sitting tight and he would want them to have the same flexibility. Um, as I mentioned last week on the show about Isaiah Thomas, and his ability to get deep into the postseason, increasing his, or maybe that was two shows ago, but it increasing his value in the off season because of the fact that he's recovering from the injury. It's kind of similar with Monroe. The more time he can be out on the floor in the playoffs with a winner, getting minutes, the more likely he's to get what he wants in the off season. So for him to take a million hit this year, but for the team to get substantially better and go deeper in the postseason is totally worth it. So I see why, I see why Greg Monroe would not be putting a lot of pressure on the Celtics to get him signed. Um, and they may be able to, who knows exactly how they work this whole thing out if they do do a trade, but at the same time, um, you asked the question about Marcus Smart. When do you choose to move on? I don't know, but we soured awfully fast in the last couple of weeks. And I think the Celtics brass did too. And maybe it's been budding for a while. He didn't get that extension to start the year. We kind of all questioned that and said, well, if they're going to make a big deal, wouldn't you want to have some salary to include with it? But even then we were saying that this guy was trade bait. So it certainly isn't something I would come off my stance on at this point. I always thought that he was maybe trade bait. I just thought that they might want more substantial dollars in this deal to make a move for maybe more of an Anthony Davis level caliber player. That's not going to happen this season. It won't happen at the trade deadline, but they're still holding out hope and they do need a bench scoring. I mean, Terry is somebody who is really adept or maybe even a best fit as a starting guard. I mean, just look at the way he played, and he loves having the ball in his hands, and he hit some really big shots down the stretch against the Trailblazers. It's his way. I think if you just look at the Raptors game, you can see that he still performed well, but it's a little bit harder for him to come off the bench. It's a little bit harder for him to share the limelight with Kyrie, and they still need more scoring with that bench unit, and probably more than they need the defense, John. Yeah, well, I... I, (laughs) It's funny, you come off a game like the Raptors game and they needed everything, probably. You know, they could have used a, a better defensive presence on the three point line when the team just got real needy. Everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, but I think you're right. I think right now you look at this team and, and offense is in that second unit is, is a real struggle. Uh, and Monroe will help with that a great deal, I think. I think he'll be a, a big benefit. I think you still keep Baines in that starting lineup just because of how he fits with the guys who are in 
that starting group. But Baines needs, I, I think he needs a bit of a breather. So Monroe may take a larger role uh, generally as, as a team, but I think they'll still keep him with that second unit. But you still need that score. And, and I don't know that's an either or situation, honestly, with Marcus Smart. If they were able to, to to spin an asset to get a guy like Tyreek Evans on, you know, the, the, uh, if he, let's say he doesn't get moved, uh, for a pick. Um, if it's on the buyout market, I mean, there's no question that would be the guy you would want. Um, so they need offense. They need to find it in some way. It could be Marco Bellinelli. It could be anybody. They need scoring. God, they need scoring. I mean, we're, we're looking at guys like Shemi Ojale and, and, and Nader and players like that to help to as on the wing to add scoring. It's going to be a problem every time, you know, so that this is an issue uh, they have to rectify before they get into these playoffs because quite frankly, while the, the rotations will shorten, there's always a time you're going to need to have somebody come in and get some quick offense. And that you can see against a team like the Raptors, they have that uh, in abundance. Celtics, not as much. So they're going to need to make some move. This is the time for it. You couldn't have a game like this against the Raptors come at a better time because it really shows you your warts two days before the deadline. Now, how are you able to turn that into something uh, that you can actually become actionable and add to your roster? And I think they, they saw what they needed. They need offense. And if that comes at the expense of Marcus Smart, I would lament that because I think – the asset there is important, but the ability, I think the issue is that they can't sign him. I think that's the issue. I don't think they feel like they can get him to sign a long-term deal with that agent who's currently working with him. And if that's the case, that's why they're moving him. It's not because they don't like him. It's not because they, they, they don't think he's a, a I think they got player. question marks. I don't dude. think that they can, they can get him under contract under a price that's even, even close to what they think they can manage. And they want it to be somebody else's problem. Like Avery Bradley signing is going to be a pro, someone else's problem. Like Isaiah Thomas re-signing is going to be someone else's problem. And like Evan Turner became the Portland Trailblazers problem. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely true. And, you know, <laughs> Evan Turner is such a unique instance. So you threw me on that one because that's just so funny. Um, that's definitely <laughs> seventeen million. Pre- it was great. To, it was great wrong, to see him on Sunday, but I'm just telling you that is somebody else's problem. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what a funny year that was with all those signings and just, it's going to have a ripple effect. What do you think at the end of the day, um, is the odds that they make a move at the deadline versus just standing pad and executing the Greg Monroe deal? I mean, I think it's 80%. I do think the team is soured on smart more than just contractual reasons. Um, but I think they like him. You know what I mean? I don't think they're just hating on him. I think that drive is important. We've always enjoyed that. But you've got to be able to keep your cool when you hit your fourth year in the league. And definitely stupid injuries like that don't make a very good case for getting paid. So odds on the deal, I'm going to say 80% that they make another move on top of Greg Monroe. And it solves your biggest issue heading into the season, which was bench depth. Yeah, I I think I agree with you. I think that there's a chance that there's a buyout and there's another deal that they do. Uh, I think I, I would actually concur with you. I think it's 80% chance they do it. They've got the assets to do it. Um, they've got their own late number one. There aren't many contending teams to have their own number one pick. Uh, I think the Celtics don't want to trade that. I think that's partly why we're looking at this smart type deal. They'd rather, you know, get a, a 
a pick close, you know, higher up in the order and, and then trade away that, that late number one. But there's very few teams that can compete with them. And I don't see Philadelphia with their mid first want to give that for Tyreek Evans. I don't see them, you know, I, I just think that there's a really tough fit there. Um, so yeah, I agree. I think maybe it's not Tyreek Evans that ends up going uh, on deadline day. Maybe he's the bio candidate, but I, I do think that they're going to make a deal of, to add someone to that bench who can get some points. Um, and, and I, and I think you're right, but I think Monroe is the biggest signing perhaps, no matter what happens, no matter what they acquire, I think he'll probably be the most impactful uh, move that they'll make here this week. Yeah, I do too. And I, and I think, I think they have to, I, I think at this point they're looking at it like we could be contenders. And after the game against the Raptors, to your point, the timing of that one says we've got to get better if we're going to beat a team like this. They probably won't face them in the postseason necessarily, but it's possible. Um, depends on the standings. And speaking of depending on the standings, the, the Raptors just got one game away from the Celtics for the number one seed in the East. They're two wins back, but they're one game back. The week was a pretty tough week. So it kicked off, uh, as you said, last night with the Raptors. But then they faced the Wizards on Thursday, which is deadline day. So if they do move some players, um, other than Marcus Smart, that would deplete their bench even more. They move Marcus, obviously, uh, he's on the shelf for a little bit. But the Wizards, it's a back-to-back. Then they play the Pacers on Friday. They get Saturday off. And then there's the Sunday game, which we'll talk about in a second. But I think we make the predictions. Then we can talk about Paul Pierce's day next Sunday. So tough week, right? Because the Wizards just leapfrogged the Cavs and uh, Indiana's surprisingly much better or not much better, but surprisingly okay, I guess, without, um, you know, Paul George. So I think they could be a tough opponent for, for the Celtics as, as well. So Wizards, Pacers, Cavs. What did we say last week? Do we try to, I know we didn't predict in the Raptors game, but I think we tried to go four and zero, didn't we? Or I think we did. Yeah, I think uh, so. The Portland Atlanta. Do we cool? I, I think we recorded before the Denver game, so I think I think yeah, it was did. Denver, Denver, New York, and then Atlanta, Portland. So I think I went three and one on the week, um, but I could. I think I was thinking they'd, they'd struggle. I think you did. Denver. I think you were concerned about Denver. Uh, I think yeah. I went four and zero, and you went three and one. But so I got the Denver win. Yep. Thankfully I got we the New the York win. The Toronto game. <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah. goodness we got the Atlanta game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah dude. I nailed it. Four and zero. Nailed it. Nailed Pow, it. Wow! Make it rain. Well. So, yeah, so I, I'll tell you what I'm thinking. So they have three games. I'm thinking two and one. I think they win against the Pacers and I think they beat the, beat the Cavs, but I think the Washington game, Washington's playing better. They're playing, they're moving the ball without John Wall. I think that there could be some upheaval with the roster, whether it's Integrating Monroe. I think right now you can see that there's a lot of rust on Kyrie. A lot of rust on Marcus Morris. You know, kind of Terry Rozier right now is playing great. He's all by himself. He's going like 65, right? And you've got, you know, Kyrie. He's trying to work the rust off. He's going like 45. He's trying to ramp up. And it's really hard to kind of ramp up together. So they're kind of meeting up together there, you know, and, and getting to that 
operating that same plane. And I think we saw that, that uncomfortability there in the Raptors game. It's going to take some time, I think, for them to work through that. And as they're integrating new players, but I think still two and one on the week. How about you, it Justin? Is, it is kind of weird to see them scrap a win against the Trailblazers, which aren't a bad team necessarily. Um, they got some good players, and McCollum definitely did his best to keep them in it, and Lillard tried to finish it. So it's weird to see them scrap a win together like that and then bring players like Marcus Morris and Kyrie back and struggle to be able to get a win. I know it is the Raptors, and they're on top of their game, and they've been kind of consistently healthy recently. But – at the end of the day, it is funny to watch that. I see why you think they hiccup against the Wizards for that reason. I almost think that they do a bounce back against the Wizards, and I'm actually a little concerned that the Sunday game against the Cavs is a loss, um, mostly because what that Cavs team really needs is a rallying cry. And the whole Isaiah Thomas, they wanted to do a tribute, then they didn't. I just feel like they might be able to manufacture some stuff, and then at the same time, not a lot of players left on this roster played with Paul Pierce. It'll be a special day, and they'll get the legacy, and they'll have, understand the meaning of the moment. But, you know, these early Sunday games have never treated them well. Look at the way they started against the Trailblazers. I, I'm going to stay with you and say 2-1, and one, but I actually think they're going to squeak it out on the back-to-backs and then lose it after a day off against Cleveland with all the pomp and circumstance of – our final topic for today, the Paul Pierce show, um, where they are going to be giving him some major love on Sunday and well-deserved it is. I had goosebumps and almost tears when he hit that final shot from beyond the arc to end the game when Isaiah sagged off last season. It was a pretty special moment. I wonder if I'll get choked up on Sunday against the after or before the game against the Cavs. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be crazy. I mean, of course, it's it's a post game thing for uh, Paul Pierce's jersey retirement, um, which is gonna be an interesting piece of it. Certainly, a little bit of time in the middle where you could run a tribute video for somebody, but who knows if? Oh, you know they're gonna blow it up before the game even starts. You know what I mean? Oh, sure. I I get the jersey retirement will be after, but it's going. It's Paul Pierce's day. It it, it It really will be a distraction for the team, but a good one. And if they do lose, so be it. You know, this is this really is uh, Paul Pierce's game. I I don't know how big of a distraction will be, honestly. I mean, there he's had far enough time away from. The franchise, I think, and none of these players certainly have ever played with him. Only handful have actually played against him. Uh, you know, Al Horford's probably the only one who has that kind of meaningful connection, being part of that 2008 Atlanta Hawks team that really pushed the, the Pierce Celtics in 08 to the brink there in the opening round. Uh, there's not a lot of connection there, not a lot of give and take there between these Celtics and the Paul Pierce era, which is kind of a sad thing. But it, that's maybe. Maybe this is where this the, the entry point to that. As the Celtics, the franchise, the fan base, they look back on a, an incredible run. I mean, Paul Pierce, on this week, 1999, so 19 years ago this week, he made his debut as as a as an NBA player, but more importantly, it's Boston Celtic, and it's unbelievable to think about that. Paul Pierce is he's my age, actually a year older than I am. And it's just crazy to think that, that somebody who's, you know, our age 
is going to have their jersey raised into the rafters of the Boston Garden or the TD Garden. We're getting and old, dude. That's what it boils down old. to. You and I are getting old. We kicked off the show talking about putting some stamps in the time, you know, and, and realizing how old we're getting. But that's just a matter of fact. If there's a if there's a jersey that we of a for a player that we watched mostly in our adult life that's now going up into the rafters. Right. Uh, that's pretty amazing. And and obviously it's well-deserved for Paul Pierce. I'm really happy for him. He's had a very good post-playing career as an announcer already, too. I think he's done an amazing job. But, you know, I remember back to um, games. Remember when he wrapped his head up after the postseason game against the Nets? Um, I, you know... That was the Pacers. Uh, oh, it was the Pacers. That's so, right. That's yeah, right. We, but yeah. I was, uh, but I was also thinking of the comeback against the Nets. I yes. mean, him and Antoine yes. were down by what it was over thirty points. I think that was the the Rodney Rogers era too, right? Wasn't that the, their yeah. bench unit and Tony Delk and you yep. know they just lit it up from beyond the arc, really. In what I would consider to be more of the modern day style game, they were they were making it popular back then. I mean, you just couldn't shoot enough threes in that Walker and Pierce tandem. But what an amazing comeback that was! They just shot their way out of it, and you know you'll never forget Paul Pierce standing up on the scorers table, you know, just pumping his fist and waving the waving the towel. I mean, there are just so many moments from Paul Pierce, and I think that's why I appreciated him um, so much was because. That that man had so much passion and so much pride that he just fit this Celtics legacy and Celtics lore. And it's one of the reasons we were able to embrace Kevin Garnett so easily. Not just that we were starving for a great player in a championship, but because that's what we all are. In this region, we're just a bunch of nutbag, passionate fruitcakes for sports. I don't know how else to put it. Fueling the CLS media's rise. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the truth. And he, that's the truth. See? The truth. Uh, there you go. That's, that's an interesting accidental. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yes. Yes. He, uh, you know, Paul, I think for Celtics fans, longtime Celtics fans, at that point in time, it was a very difficult time when he came to the team. 99, obviously the Patino era, uh, you know, there's a lot of difficulty in terms of was Patino going to work? Is it not going to work? The Tim Duncan stuff. He, he was at that point in time where I think a lot of Celtics fans from the, the old school, the eighties and, and going back saying, well, they don't play the way that the eighties Celtics did. Well, who did? Paul Pierce had a very difficult introduction to being a Celtic great. He was not as shunned like Antoine Walker was. Antoine pushed that away and really, you know, I think really came through that very brusquely, but I think he had a very difficult introduction in that there was, well, these aren't the real Celtic heroes. And so he had to earn it night after night, week after week, game after game, and just put his heart on the line, put his soul on the line, put his game in the line. He was never the best player in the league. He was never the MVP like Larry Bird or or Bill Russell or Havlicek or Cowens. He was never that guy, but he was there for the Celtics fans Night after night, week after week, good teams, bad teams, everything in between. Paul Pierce was there, just as we were, tuning into Mike and Tommy, listening to Willie May or Greg Dickerson on the sideline. We were there for all of it, right there with him. And the highs and the lows, he stuck with us, and then we, in turn, stuck with him. 
You know, again, we also kicked off the show referencing the Patriots and the Super Bowl and, you know, the game and whatnot. But really, you know, Paul Pierce was synonymous with Tom Brady for me, you know, being a, a Patriots and a Celtics fan. Those are my two most favorite teams um, in the 2000s. I was a big Red Sox fan before that. I've kind of lost my love for baseball over the last maybe 15 years. But I will say that, you know, those two players were two players that kind of came around at similar times and two players that I really enjoyed watching very much. But I think what you just said, they were our age. And that's why it feels old that one of those, one of those jerseys is going up into the rafters of the TD garden, right? It's insane. And, um, he feels like a peer. He's not because I suck at basketball. Um, you know, but he's our age. So in many ways, you know, it's, he is kind of a peer and it's odd to think that that career, you know, has come full circle at this point and that that's, that's where we've come to. So, you know, um, Paul's one of my most favorite Boston athletes ever. Um, he probably is my most favorite. And it'll always be that way because when I went to cover this team with the credentials for the first time, you know, I was going there and Paul was my favorite player. You know, it was before Kevin Garnett, Garnett got traded. It was the season before that I was able to walk into that garden. Um, I'll always remember him fondly. I'm really excited for Sunday's game. Um, I'm excited to see him get choked up because I'm going to tell you right now, I think, oh, yeah. I think Paul Pierce gives us some tears. You tears. know, all of that yep. passion comes welling up to the surface just like a volcano. And, uh, I'm actually, I, that's what I love about Paul. That's kind of what I was getting at before. That's what I love about him. You know, I feel like he's really who he is. Wearing his heart and soul on his sleeve every day. I don't think there's ever an air. Even when he's doing his broadcasting now, I literally have always felt that he's a genuine person in the way that he presents himself to the masses. And that's got to be hard to do, right? You get all that coaching about what to say and what not to say and how to be as an athlete and how to protect your privacy. And all those things are like real legitimate issues, but he still seems to present himself in a very genuine nature, you know, to all of us. And that's part of what, what made those teams, even when they're failing, so compelling to watch anyway. Absolutely. They're very human, you know, very human and, and very much, you know, we, we saw ourselves in him. And, and like, as you said, it's, it's the age thing, but it's, it's just, you know, I think the rise and the fall, you know, and, and fighting so hard for something and finally getting it, you know, there was just such a, such a, a relief for all of us. I think when he finally was able to get there and get to the mountaintop in 2008 and, you know, yeah, obviously Garnett and Allen had a lot to do with that, but, but and he was, was talking about moving him out of town because they didn't think they were going to pull it off. They were that yeah. close. He was almost, Absolutely. we almost, we almost were riding. We're almost watching Chris Paul still playing for us right now. Right. That's, we talked that's a where lot that about that happened. on the show. We did a ton. A ton. And, and actually, we were okay with it. Uh, we or were. at least I was. I, and I recall, I think we were both okay with it. And at least we were a good yeah. read on ability because I think if that had happened, would we – I mean, there's no way I can say today, sitting where I am from this view – that I would have been okay with that trade knowing what happened afterwards. But not having the benefit 
of knowing what was going to happen. If that trade had happened, I don't think we would have ultimately been upset about it. I think we would have been just as happy that, you know, we're, hey, we got a great point guard and we're competing. We got a little bit younger, so we got a little bit more of a window. And I, th- I think we would have been okay, but I'm really glad we didn't. Well, it, it had so much to do with the time and it seemed like it was a hopeless situation. There was a, re- we were hope, we were feeling there was a hopeless situation because Paul felt like it was a hopeless situation. There's no way out of this. I've got all these young guys around me. I'm the old guy. I'm the only thing we got going on. How is this going to be a winning situation? It's not getting any better. And Danny Ainge pulled the rabbit out of the hat and, or two and the rest is history. And there's a banner up there that's going to join. Number 34, uh, going up there as well. And it's going to be a delight, not just for, I think for fans also, but it'll, it's going to be great to see, you know, you're going to see some of the guys there. You know, you're going to see, you know, KG, you're going to see, I don't think you're going to see Ray Allen, but Scal's going to be there. You might see I mean, Tony I'm, Allen. Could be so, yeah, could be Tony Allen. You know, I mean, I'm sure there'll be other players. I don't know where they the are era. this week, but I, it'd know, be great to see, see Antoine there. Yep. Um, you know, some of the other guys, Tony Batie, I'm sure will be there. Obviously, a big friend of Paul's, and obviously played a huge role. Leon Powell, that. Leon Powell, <laughs> yes, indeed. And it's an important day for the franchise to kind of build that connection with this team. Yeah, I think it really is going to be a great thing. I'm looking forward. This is kind of a to be continued conversation. I'm looking forward to next Sunday or recording next Sunday or Monday, whenever we do the show next week being able to reflect on this very special day for Paul Pierce. So very, very excited for that. But that's going to do it for this week's show. The broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Media mobile app. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. A heartfelt thank you to everyone for tuning in. And a reminder that you can help support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. We'd love it if you gave us a rating and a review because your feedback is important to the show. For staff writer Samuel Elias, executive Executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Media, Nick Gelso, and for my co-host John Duke, I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.